for the message this morning. We turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 6. Two verses only. I will read them twice. Verse 11 and 12 in lieu of message, which if you will correct in your bulletin, Brother John, correct on the title, sermon audio, I left out the word somewhere. The message will be God is sitting under a tree somewhere nearby. Judges chapter 6 verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Oprah that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel appeared, uh, angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Turn with me again and stand with me. And we'll sing together number 134. In all my vast concerns with thee, in vain my soul would try to shun thy presence, Lord, or flee the notice of thine eye. Thine all surrounding sight surveys my rising and my rest. My public walks my private ways and secrets of my breast. My thoughts lie open to the Lord. 
before they're formed within. And ere my lips pronounce the words, He knows the sins I mean. Oh, wondrous knowledge deep and high, where can a creature hide within thy circling arms I lie enclosed on every side so let thy grace surround me still and like a bulwark through to guard my soul from every ill, secured by sovereign love. <coughs> Thank you. Be seated. <coughs> <coughs> God is sitting somewhere under a tree, somewhere nearby. God is sitting under a tree, somewhere nearby. We've returned now this morning at last, at last, to this sixth chapter in the record of the Judges. And in our expositions of that chapter, we have arrived at verse 11. Here, in verse 11, is the beginning of the history of that man named Gideon. The history of this particular judge occupies a considerable volume in the sacred record. While some of the judges occupied no more than a verse or two, Gideon occupies a considerable volume. This Gideon, looming large on the horizon of Israel's sacred drama, continues these many millennia later to grasp our attention, continues to hold tight to our interest, and proverbially speaking, he continues to drown us in lessons which are at one and the same time both practical and divine. We've seen in agonizing detail in messages before the state of Israel as this chapter opens to our view in verses 1 through 5 and there's no need that I should review all of that for you. You're aware what the state of Israel was. 
We saw then in verse 6 how that under the effectual hand of God's providence, Israel at last cried out to God, her God, her covenant God. She cried out, forsaking all other false and helpless idols. They cried out at last. And then, only then, Jehovah sent a man prophet. And this man prophet, this unnamed man prophet, called Israel to a wholesale repentance for her wholesale apostasy. This was the last of our messages before the new year. Now today, God has heard their cries. And God has sent his messenger. God has wrought in their hearts, has begun that effectual work of repentance. And now, now this God will remember his covenant and will raise up a deliverer, a savior, a ruler, under whose direction Israel will find again repentance and healing, restoration and peace. But this deliverer will be raised up like none before him. Someone has succinctly brought us to the introduction of this particular judge with these words. He said the manner in which God called Gideon to be their deliverer and to rescue Israel from its oppressors through his instrumentality the manner was intended to furnish the most evident proof that the help and salvation of Israel were not to be found in man, but solely in their God. God had also sent them judges previous. The spirit of Jehovah, you remember, had come upon Othniel, so that he smote the enemy in the power of God, chapter 3 and verse 10. Ehud had put to death the hostile king by stratagem and then destroyed his army in chapter 3. Barak had received the command of the Lord through the prophetess Deborah to deliver his people from the dominion of their foes and had carried out the command with her assistance in chapter 4. But Gideon, Gideon was called to be the deliverer of Israel through the appearance of the angel of the Lord to show to him and to all of Israel that Jehovah, the God of their fathers, was still near at hand to his people and could work miracles as in the days of old if Israel would only adhere to him and keep his covenant. Gideon comes to us on the stage of Israel's history 
in a manner unparalleled in its grandeur and profundity. Gideon receives a theophany. Yea, more precisely, Gideon receives a Christophany. That is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in a bodily form recognizable to the human eye. Someone has called a Christophany a visible self-revelation in human form. <laughs> a visible self-revelation in human form. I said to you, Gideon stepped onto the stage of Israel's history in a manner unparalleled in its grandeur and profundity because Gideon steps onto the stage with a revelation of Jesus Christ. A self-revelation in human form. Gideon is allowed to look on the very person of Christ. The second person of the triune Godhead long before his incarnation. This is a sight, as we shall see, God willing, that transports a man to heights of which he could not imagine and transforms a man into an instrument almost divine. It will be our design and my delight in the following weeks to follow that transformation in this man and to exact from him and from its record lessons to our soul's advantage. But just now, before we begin our journey down that gloriously thrilling road of Gideon's life and service, I would have us pause this morning and draw sweet nectar from a flower that I fear is too often neglected, certainly by the commentators that I studied. Through the centuries, this flower has been neglected. I would read it again in your hearing in verse 11 and 12. There came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Orpah, Oprah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abazarite, and his son Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord, verse 12, appeared unto him and said unto him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Just here, just here, at the outset of Gideon's amazing life 
and service at the outset of his amazing calling and the detailed account of his unusual walk with God in delivering Israel. Just here, at the very outset, there is a glorious and shocking consideration to which my own heart has been powerfully drawn and which I would not have us lose in the study of this record. Please indulge me and let me read a portion of it to you again just to set the glorious truth before you from the text. Verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. First, let it be well established in your mind, as I've already said, that this angel is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ himself. On that, every orthodox commentator agrees. This angel, it is called in our text, is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ himself. And as we come to this scene described in verse 11, he is sitting under an oak. (laughs) Exactly where is this oak in relation to the wine press at which Gideon is laboring? We do not know exactly. But it is clearly somewhere in the proximity. How could it be that the Son of God in His pre-incarnate form could be sitting? Just sitting. In such close proximity to this good man at work and yet somehow remained unnoticed until he appeared. How is it? Well, no one is sure, really. But scholars say that this fact that he's sitting so near under a tree and clearly unseen by Gideon, Some scholars say that it's indicative of the intense preoccupation of his mind with his work and with Israel's desperate condition. Whatever be the case, whatever be the case, clearly we know from our record that here is Gideon. Here is Gideon, lost in thought, absorbed in this dangerous and urgent necessity of threshing wheat, while only a short distance away, the Son of God is sitting. (laughs) Oh, I hope you can 
put this scene in your mind as I have. And it'll have its effect for you. Can you just see this scene in your mind with me? And allow the seriousness of it to grip your heart. Over here labors a man, Gideon. A desperate man. A strong man, but fearful. A man racked with the torture of Israel's crisis and struggling just to feed his family. A man stained with the idolatry of his father's own household, verse 25. And yet he's heard, no doubt, he's heard. He's heard and grieved. He's grieved to repentance has already begun in his heart. It's good work. He's heard the message of that man prophet. And the good work of repentance has already begun in his heart. But what to do? What to do? He cannot tell. And so he labors on, lost in his own thoughts and maybe even Praying, and many scholars say, no doubt he was absorbed in prayer as he was threshing that wheat, working and praying, no doubt, earnestly and urgently. I read just this morning, reading Brother R. Dr. R. G. Lee's testimony, autobiography, rather, Brother John got me for New Year's. Read just this morning how he was converted. He under such deep conviction, conviction, but he was plowing with his father's mules, field and plowing. He worked and plowed, and he was under such deep conviction. It was interesting how the writer described it. Said finally, when he finished, he went out to the end of a row and he stopped, and he couldn't bear it anymore. He stepped out on the edge of the woods while the old mule watched him and couldn't make any sense out of any of it. He went out, got on his knees and said, God, if you can save me, save me now. No doubt while he held those plow stalks in his hand and followed that mule, he was oblivious to everything in the world, such as a man under conviction. Couldn't think of anything, wasn't paying attention anything, I'm surprised he could even plow underneath conviction. And Gideon was in such a state of mind. He's threshing in this wine press, beating out the wheat, hiding from the Midianites. And all the while his heart is occupied. He's so afraid and, and concerned and burdened. And, and no doubt we find from the later record that Repentance had already begun in his heart. But what to do? What to do? He doesn't know what to do. There he is. There he is. And just then, just then, just there, the Son of God the power of God in visible form. The deliverer is sitting under an oak tree watching 
this good man suffer. Amen. Just there. Just right over there. The Son of God is sitting under an oak tree watching. <laughs> and just at the right appointed moment in God's divine timing, verse 12 tells us, he appears unto Gideon. Hallelujah. Whoa! Now salvation has come. Now deliverance is near. Now the whole world will change for Gideon, for his household, and for all of Israel. Hallelujah. He's appeared. But now this morning, before I go further in an exposition of all of that, I want us to fix our attention for the message this morning for just a little while on that lesson that I said was here, that I said was too often overlooked by the commentators of days gone by. And here's the lesson. I give it to you in a word. The angel, and that's spelled with a capital A. The angel was watching Gideon with the plan for his deliverance. While Gideon <laughs> was drowning in his own thoughts and had no knowledge of him. Mm. The angel was watching Gideon with a plan for his deliverance while Gideon was drowning in his own sorrows, his own trials, his own thoughts, and had no knowledge of him. <laughs> Whoa, can I just make it plainer for you by giving it to you in these words. God was near. Watching before he had any knowledge of him. Amen. Thank God. By the grace of God, I want to bring this truth to you home to your heart from this text this morning in four specific areas. Number one, God was watching you before you had any existence in time. <laughs> Did you hear the words of that hymn we sung? Did you hear those words? Did you hear the words of that hymn we sung? The hymn writer said, My thoughts lie open to the Lord before they're formed within. 
And ere my lips pronounce the word, he knows the sense I mean. (laughs) Number one, God was watching you before you had any existence at all in time. Look with me at Psalm chapter 139 and verse 13. Listen what the psalmist said. Psalm 139 and verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Then I did see my substance being yet, yet being imperfect. And in thy books all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. (laughs) Hallelujah. The psalmist said, you knew me. You saw me. You were watching me before I even had any form when there was none of them. My members, you already had them written in a book. It's interesting, the Hebrew word Wording in verse 13, I wish I could give it to you in the Hebrew as the Hebrew scholars give it to us. The Hebrew wording in verse 13 describes the weaving of a colorful tapestry. Oh, he said, thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And the word is a word that's used to describe the weaver's job in weaving a glorious, colorful tapestry. The psalmist said, you were weaving my, the tapestry of my life before I ever had an existence. The Hebrew word in verse 16 is glomus, and it means a ball wrapped together an unshapen mass. He said, I was yet unperfect. And in thy books my members were written, which continued were fashioned, continues were fashioned, when there was yet none of them. My members were unperfect. I said the Hebrew word means an unshapen mass, a ball. Dr. Gill said of this interesting word, he said the word for substance signifies a ball of yarn wound up or any rude or unformed lump and designs that conglomerate mass of matter separated in the womb containing all the essentials of the human frame but not yet distinguished or reduced into any form or order. Yet even when in this state, the eyes of the Lord see it and all of its parts distinctly. <laughs> oh, listen, Calvin said, 
The embryo, when first conceived in the womb, has no form. David speaks of God's having known him when he was yet a shapeless mass. All my bones were written in thy book, O God, from the beginning of the world, when days, when days were first formed by thee, and yet, and when as yet none of them actually existed. Calvin said before, not only before I was born, not only before I was formed, but before God formed time, my members were before him. <laughs> Calvin said even when David was in Fieri, Latin informing, even when David was in Fieri, God was watching. Oh, blessed Gideon. He's over there. He's over there under a tree watching you. Kyle said, the fact that man is manifest to God even to the very bottom of his nature in and in every place is now confirmed from the origin of man. The development of the child in the womb was looked upon by Israelites as one of the great mysteries. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 5. And here the poet praises this coming. Here in the psalm the poet praises this coming into being as a marvelous work of the omniscient and omnipresent omnipotence of God. The rains he talks about are made specially prominent in order to mark them. The seat of the tenderest, most secret emotions are the work of him who trieth the heart and the reins. He said, even your emotions, every part of your being, God was watching it before you ever had existence in time. Hallelujah. Would God, we had more preaching of that truth in today's generation. Finally, Matthew Henry said, because he is the work of his hands, he that framed the engine knows all the motions of it. God made us and therefore no doubt he knows us. He saw us when we were in the forming and can be and can we be hidden from him now that we're formed? This, argu this argument he insists upon that he try, he possessed my reins. Thou art the master of my most secret thoughts and intentions and the innermost recesses of my soul. Thou not only knowest, but governest them as we do that which we will, we have possess, possession of. The possession thou hast of my reins is a rightful possession, for thou coverest me in my mother's womb, that is, Thou madest me, thou madest me in secret. The soul is concealed in its concealed form all about us. Who knows, 1 Corinthians 2 and 11, who knows the things of man save the heart, the spirit of a man. And hence we read of the hidden man of the heart. But it was God himself that thus covered us. Therefore he can, when he pleases, discover us as he did Gideon. When he hid us from all the world, he did not intend that he would hide us from himself. 
Oh, bless the Lord this morning. God was watching David before he had any existence in time. Could I just show you that again in the testimony of one other man? You know it well, probably already thought of it. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah, the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. <laughs> hey, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. Praise God, was that do be a doctrine of free will, Arminians? <laughs> hey, before you were ever conceived, I knew you. And then before you were born, I ordained you. I sanctified you. And I ordained you that I was going to send you to this good work. The Hebrew word for formed is the word yotzar. And it means to squeeze as the potter squeezes the clay. The Hebrew word for new, K-N-E-W, is yodah. And it means to perceive with certainty. The Hebrew word for sanctified in that text is kodash. And it means to pronounce clean. And the Hebrew word for ordained is nothan. And it means to cast into a certain direction. And so then if I may read you that, that one verse from the Hebrew, by the literal use of its words, the verse would sound like this. Before I squeeze you in the shape for your birth, I perceive with certainty that I was going to pronounce you clean and cast you into a very specific direction. Hallelujah. Thank God for the inspired scriptures. Thank God for these words. Hey, 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 what's a man going to do? What's Jeremiah going to do when God comes to him and says that to him? Before I squeeze you into shape for your birth, I perceive with certainty that I pronounce you clean and set you in a specific direction. Hallelujah for a sovereign God. Hey, I just want to point you to the fact that he saw you. <laughs> Before you ever had any existence. Oh, David. David, says our Lord. Jeremiah, says our Lord. I was looking at you before you had any existence in time. Oh, Gideon, says Jehovah the angel. I'm sitting under an oak tree. Watching you. <laughs> oh, but to others, he said, before I even formed you, I was watching you. Could I just, could I just show you one more? Indulge me, please. Could I show you one more? 
Judges chapter 13. I will get there, maybe, maybe not. Judges chapter 13. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or any strong drink. Eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be, shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Oh, Samson, says our Lord, I've made all the plans for your life before you even had any existence. Listen to me, little woman. Don't drink wine. Don't touch any unclean thing. You have not yet conceived, but you will. And that child is mine. A special work. Oh, God saw him. God saw him. He didn't see the Lord. He hadn't seen the Lord. He hadn't even in existence. But the Lord's looking at him. Oh, my dear sainted friend this morning, can I say this to you and take it to your heart? Before the stars were hung in their luminary sockets, God was thinking about you. Before your mother thought about you, before your father thought about you, before your grandmothers and grandfathers thought about you, go back as far as you want to in your genealogy. Before any of these people thought about you, God was looking at you. God was looking at you. God was looking at you. Ephesians chapter 1, you know it well, you don't have to look. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with spiritual, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will God was thinking about us before we had any existence oh yes this scene in verse 11 or 12 of Judges chapter 6 makes us to remember 
that our God sees us before we even have any existence in time. God sees us before we have any existence in time. Gideon is over here laboring. I wish I had the skill of words and conveyance of language that I could paint in your mind the picture of Gideon on that threshing floor. Oh, his heart is heavy. He's no doubt heard the prophet, heard the man. He knows Israel's trouble, source of his trouble. And he's buried down there working. Working. By the way, if I didn't tell you, verse 11, that word threshed is not the normal word for threshing wheat. In the Hebrew, it's a word that means to be, to knock out, to be knocking out with a stick. That's not how, that's not how wheat was threshed in Israel. Wheat was threshed by trotting on it in a big open floor with oxen. You remember in the book of Ruth, you saw this scene where she's beating out the wheat with a stick. This is the word that's used in this verse. They're beating out. He's down there. He's down there in this wine press, which is the wrong place to be. This is not a place for threshing wheat. This is a wine press. He's down in this wine press, hiding from the Midianites and not using oxen and all out on open floor, but beating it out with a stick, that word tells us. And he's doing it to hide to cause it to flee, if you look at the marginal reading in your King James Version, to cause it to flee. He's down there beating out wheat with a stick, hiding. But oh, it's not the work that's got his heart burdened. It's not the work that's laboring on his mind. It's the state of Israel. It's the the trouble that they're in has got his mind completely absorbed on this day. And sitting over yonder, under an oak tree, God is watching. Sitting under an oak tree. <laughs> Hallelujah! God is Watching, sitting and watching, somewhere, somewhere nearby. Take to your heart this first point, my sainted friend. God was watching you before you had existence. Take up the remaining thoughts on next week. Turn with me, if you will, in your hymn book. Stand with me and we sing together again. Number 830.
Thank you. 